0: On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC, we are joined by ESPN College Basketball Analyst Robbie Hummel for an interview. We talk to Robbie about what went wrong for the Big 12 and the Big 10 in the NCAA Tournament, and we preview the Sweet 16. We begin our breakdown of OU's roster by looking at the defensive backs, and we discuss the Chandler Morris situation. We finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostia will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma breakdown. It's beautiful Thursday, March 25th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC difference program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordOKC.com for more information and go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know who you want us to try to get on the podcast. In this episode, we're talking college basketball with Robbie Hummel. And if you're like, why does that name sound familiar? It's because he was at Purdue for forever as a player, and now he's an analyst ESPN so that that's probably like oh yeah that, that that's why I know that name
1: yeah he and he's good man he he knows his stuff he's watched a lot of basketball been watching these games calling these games in the tournament so uh really good stuff from him man
0: okay Teddy I'm gonna give you well there's three different ways we can start this okay from OU football number one We can start our spring position previews that we were talking about, and we're going to do defensive backs on this episode. Uh, Your second option, we can talk about the Gary Patterson, Lincoln Riley, Chandler Morris transfer situation that has become quite the hot topic. Mm -hmm. And your third option is we can talk about the top 80 best college football defenders of all or excuse me, not of all time, but of the two thousands where you are ranked number 19, baby number 19, Teddy Lehman on the list of the top 80 best college football defenders of the two thousands. So which one would you like to tackle first
1: door? Number two, Gary Patterson.
0: All right, let's do it. (laughs) Gary Patterson told basically, and I, it wasn't an accident. Gary Patterson's a smart guy. He, he, he knew it was going to be a big deal the second he said it. He told everyone that Chandler Morris is in a QB competition with Max Duggan there at TCU, and then he sprinkled a little extra on the end by saying that OU still hasn't released Chandler Morris. Now, Lincoln Riley said that he and the leadership of OU think it is, quote, unhealthy for college football to encourage intra-conference transfers now intra-conference transfers is too big of a term for me i got a small brain so i'm going to just say guys transferring within the conference if you don't mind ted All right, same. But i i'm not surprised that lincoln riley said this he's been rather open about how he feels about guys transferring within the conference is it worth the heat that he is going to get for this because I he, he's already getting it, right? I will say this about Lincoln and the stance that he has taken. He knows it's not going to be a popular stance. He, he knows that, but it's what he believes in. He, he does think it's bad for the game. So I give him respect for saying something publicly that he knows is not going to be popular. Like A lot of people don't do that now in several different walks of life, right? They just kind of toe the party line. But he said what he said. It's what he believes. Now there is a debate. Is he right? Is he wrong? Is it fair to Chandler Morris? All these things. But it ha- it's turned into quite the uh, quite the ordeal.
1: Yeah, it has. It's, it's big news. Um, and it's interesting. We just talked about the ACC striking down their rule. All right. Uh, you know, so now in the ACC, you can transfer within conference. So this happens like about a week later. And so I think Lincoln, he's got some legitimate concerns. And I agree that he's he, he said this is, you know, this is just a, um, a principle that we're going to stand on. This is what we believe then stand on it and don't come off of it. You know, if, if you're if you're going to take the stand here and say that you don't think it should happen, you you, you think that it makes college football worse um, and it shouldn't be encouraged, then don't come off of it. You know, I, I don't know if he's just going to, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to get a press conference and tell everyone how he thinks and then ultimately um, end up given the release away, but if so, then what, what have you really accomplished? So if that's how you believe, then stand with it and hunt it out. I, I personally, if I was Lincoln Riley, I would have said, I don't believe in it. I don't think we should, we should be encouraging this. Um, It's one thing to be able to transfer, you know, in, in college football without a penalty, but in conference, I think that's a little much. And then I'd say, "Are we sure this is what we want? Are you sure this is the road you want to go down? Because let me just tell you right now, we play against some pretty good players in this conference. Pretty good players in this TCU's conference. TCU's got and
0: some pretty good defensive backs.
1: I think they've got the best wide receiver in the Big Twelve. True freshman last year uh, with a lot Johnston of eligibility kid, left. Yeah. So I mean, he could he could look really good in our in our system. You know, there's some running backs." that we think that re- look really good. There's defensive linemen out there. So if this is the road that everyone wants to go down, then just put it out there that we're looking for all the all the best players that we can get. But, you know, I, I don't know what he can and can't say. But at the same time, I mean, people in the conference better be careful what they wish for, you know, because quarterback, got a good quarterback, maybe look a little bit better in Oklahoma system or an offensive lineman. You know, Beanbo gets a lot of guys drafted into the NFL. You know, there's, some, there's a lot of wide receivers at Oklahoma going in the first round. So if you want to strike down that rule, maybe be careful what you wish for, because I believe that Oklahoma would be the one that would stand to benefit the most.
0: That was my reaction.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I wasn't surprised because he's made it clear how he feels about this. But OU in Texas would benefit the most right? If guys were able to transfer within the conference and the rule for college football is going to change. That's why I I do think Lincoln is fighting a losing battle with this, right? Because you're going to be able to transfer once without a penalty and everyone eventually is going to get to where the ACC has already gotten, where you can do it within the conference and no one really cares. But if, when that happens, not if, when I think OU and Texas are going to have the most to gain because if you got a couple guys, like this was the perfect example I could think of Puka Williams would have been pretty good in Lincoln Riley's offense. Yeah. And you don't think, and once again, I don't think it'll be this obvious when it comes to tampering. I don't know if that's the best word for it, but
1: you don't word think can't that, get
0: out. Yes. Word can get out. Whether it's a post-game handshake of, Hey, call me. Or it just anything like that. Like, I do think that Lincoln Riley could, I, I don't want to say threaten the other schools in the Big 12 because that sounds a little much, but I think you're right. He should at some point be like, okay, guys, you're sure this is what you want to do because it's
1: it's the same thing with Nick Saban in the up-tempo offense and all that stuff. You're you're sure.
0: This is how you want football to be played. Okay. We'll do this. But I do think that he's going to get a lot of heat for it. I don't know if he's going to change on his position on it, but I did think that it was interesting that it was Chandler Morris, right? And now kind of Chandler Morris is caught up in all of this and Chandler Morris really isn't doing anything wrong. So I I think people should go ahead and leave that kid alone. He's just trying to get on the field. Right. But the rules were in place. It's not like Chandler Morris. I mean, we all know who his dad is. Like he knows the rules. He
1: knows the rules. His family knows the rules as good as any family out there. Sure.
0: But the arguments against what Lincoln said was people say, well, coaches can, take jobs within the conference. Like Lincoln could go be the head coach of Texas right now. No
1: penalty. And, you know, there's a buyout. Like, that's a penalty in itself. But yes. It, that's what's the argument on Lincoln's side though. What? Cause he says it makes college football worse. Like what, what about I, it makes it worse?
0: I don't really know. I was, I, I was trying to think of why he took a strong, such a strong position. And I don't know because there are some people out there that are like, well, they can learn the system. Like, they basically become a mole for another school. Like, hey, we can have a recruit go to OU and then transfer straight to Texas. He can give the team the whole system. It's like, guys, Lincoln Riley's entire playbook is out there. It's on tape it's the plays they run that's the playbook right you that's it how it week. works
1: every week it, it, it's shocking you get to see their entire playbook before you play them each week it's it's crazy
0: and multiple games of it game yeah. after game of the playbook so i i don't really the only know the other
1: argument is like the well what are we teaching these kids that you transfer right. the first sign yeah. of adversity instead of st- there's something to be said about sticking it out. And I agree with that, but why are we picking this to take the stand on that? Cause you can't punish them to run sprints. You can't have a workout, go over exactly two hours. You can't do all of these other things, but this is the stance we're going to take all of a sudden about teaching a lesson about hard work. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you And it. It's it's interesting to me that this argument all stems from a guy that was going to be what the third string quarterback, right? Like I want Chandler Morris to get on the field because the kid can play. You and I both love the way that this kid plays. Like I want him to be on the field somewhere. Would I prefer it be outside of the Big Twelve? Yeah, probably. Maybe that's part of it for Lincoln, maybe he's just like, hey, I know Chandler Morris can play, but he said it's not about the kid. It's just that's their stance on it. It's the principle, right? So, I I don't know, but I don't see a ton of negatives when it comes to kids being able to transfer within the conference. I was trying to think of them. It's like, will they know some of what they do on offense and def- offense and defense? Yeah, but If coaches can't make adjustments, that's on them. I I don't know. But everyone else, this is this is kind of how I see it. Everyone else that makes a ton of money off the players can move freely without punishment. Athletic directors, administrators, teachers, coaches, everyone can move freely, but the players. We know where this is headed. I don't understand why Lincoln Riley and, and he looped in right the leadership there at OU with him. Yeah. I don't know why they're digging their heels in on this. It they're fighting a losing battle. Ted.
1: Well, do you have a tinfoil hat near you? you I I don't. Theory? I I can
0: run downstairs and I can grab one. I you know how much I love your conspiracy theories. Give me it. Come
1: on. Why do you think Gary Patterson? Threw this out there. This isn't a new thing. It's been going on for however long now that Lincoln Riley hasn't released it. He knows the league rules. Why do you think.
0: Okay. You want me to go like full conspiracy theory, right? Mm -hmm. So let me think outside of the box because didn't they float Chad Morris to TCU at one point?
1: Uh, Was yeah, that in the ether? That is an interesting one. It's, it's more simple than that. I, I think that...
0: Chandler Morris just comes back to OU.
1: No, I think Chandler Morris is going to play in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But I think that if he doesn't get the release from Lincoln, it may be SMU.
0: Ooh, and he's going to go head-to-head with Mordecai? I love it. Yeah. Mordecai's at SMU, right? That's where he went, right?
1: Yeah. I, I think, and maybe I've even heard from a little birdie, that they're worried about him going somewhere else.
0: Ooh. So, uh-huh. so you're saying that it may not be a coincidence that Gary Patterson chose now to uh, make this public knowledge.
1: Yeah, because it's like, well, if you can't get me in spring ball, if I'm not going to get the release from Lincoln, then, you know, I, I just don't want to sit another year. I just redshirted. I I want to be able to compete and try and, uh, and try and get a starting job somewhere. I'm, I'm not, I'm not into sitting. So I was hoping the release was going to come a little bit quicker, not happening. So maybe I'll go try somewhere else around here in the area. Just, just the theory Gabe, we'll see what happens see I like happens. it see how this thing plays out see if Patterson could apply some political pressure get the release get the kid out there on the field in spring ball
0: interesting now I, I let you pick the order I really thought you were gonna pick talking about yourself first <laughs> <laughs> because I know how much you like talking about yourself we won't even talk about you we'll we'll do a deep dive into that list at some point, but that'll be a
1: bonus episode at one point.
0: Look at you. Number 19. How about we do, how about we do an episode where we try to get all the OU guys on that list. Ooh, like that. That would be good. That would be fun.
1: Talk about, get all the guys on the list and and have them explain why they think they should be higher than me.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But the Chandler Morris situation was our call your shot question. And uh, I asked, our listeners, uh, how they felt about it from the podcast Twitter. And this was an interesting one. This comes from at Ron Buckley 89 on Twitter. He says, what's to stop a big program? Say UT from telling a recruit, go to OU for a year, learn their trade secrets, and then come here. Educate us on OU's secret sauce and we'll guarantee you a starting position. But that would never happen, right? There is nothing better and thank you for the response, Ron. We appreciate it. There is nothing better than the paranoia in college football, Ted. It is – it's the best.
1: I, yeah. The, the, yeah, I'll tell you, that would never happen. That would never happen. It's hard enough to get a recruit, period, especially if you're, like, competing directly against Oklahoma and, and you're Texas. The last thing you're ever going to do is tell a good player that you're recruiting a four or five-star kid, hey, we want you to go ahead and go to Oklahoma. We do risk you you know, having a great year and, and loving it there, but bring us back some secrets. No way. And I don't know what they're going to tell them that they don't already know anyways.
0: Exactly. They know all the hey, plays.
1: Coach, they're on I'm, film. Listen to this. They love this running play where they pull this guard and tackle around. It's it's crazy.
0: First guy kicks out, second guy raps. It's it's it is nuts. It's unbelievable how well. And listen
1: to this. They'll even run play action off of it, too. It's crazy. God. Uh,
0: (laughs) one other person that chimed in, Matt underscore Stewart. I, I think he kind of sums up how a lot of OU fans feel about this. He says, Riley is protecting his current players and not the one who left him. Morris might know many of their strengths and weaknesses. So I, I do think some some OU fans are saying, you know what, he's just trying to protect the guys that he's still coaching. And, and I get that. But once again, it's uh, it has turned into an ordeal. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Teddy, it's our first position preview, and we – we talked a lot about defensive backs last episode, so I was like, you know what? Let's preview defensive backs Make first, and we'll we'll start at safety. Now, when, when you look at who they lost out of the defensive backfield, lose Trey Brown, right? You lose Trey Norwood, and Buki Radley-Hiles transfers to Washington. But you've got both starting safeties back. Now, Pat Field's going to be out for the spring. Right. With what Lincoln Riley called a cleanup. So we'll see when Pat Fields is back. But DeLaron Turner Yell returns. Obviously, he wants to remain a starter because I was told he looks, quote, damn good. That he had an absolute awesome offseason, that he's bigger, he's faster, strong, everything. Like he looks like a guy that has. No intention of getting replaced.
1: Yeah, well, you you add bigger, faster, stronger with a guy that's got the the best understanding of the defense, the most experience, and uh, a great tackler, a physical football player. That's what you want. Now, great nickname. Great nickname. There's gonna be there's gonna be competition there. Um, They've got some players, they got some young Bucks that can play. But yeah, I think I think Turner Yell, I think he's gonna hold on to that spot. Pat Fields is the one I, I would have said that he's the one most likely, anyways, to get beat out. And not being able to be there in the spring hurts quite a bit because young guys behind him are are, are really chomping at the bit. They obviously love Key Lawrence, um, recruited him heavy before he went to Tennessee. Uh, Jordan Mukes had, I think he had two interceptions in the first, uh, you know, official spring practice. So he's playing well. Now, it it usually goes good for the the new guys and young guys the first couple of practices, but as more and more is added in, more playbook on the offensive side, more playbook on the defensive side, it tends to really start to fall apart. So we'll see. Right now, good start on the back end, but I agree. I think Turner Yale is he, he's, I think he's going to have his best season as a sooner yet.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. And they're super excited about key Lawrence. They, they think he's got a very bright future. Now it, it takes a while. Like Grinch's system's not easy. It's not. I know a lot of people think it's just, Hey, a little bit of slanting, a little bit of angling, And then they just play really, really hard and run to the ball. Like, It's a pretty intricate system from how it's been explained to me and how you've explained it to me, Ted. So it's going to take Key Lawrence a while. It's going to take Jordan Mukes a while. Now, there's no doubt that that kid has the physical gifts, right? But he was raw as a high school player, and the more that he works on technique, the more he starts to understand this defense. Like, they are so excited about that kid and how he looks just in these first couple of days. The, the guy that I think may be lost in the shuffle a little bit, Bryson Washington, where, where do you think he kind of fits in in all of this? Because I, I don't see him. I, I know sometimes they like to cross train guys, right? Be able to play safe to be able to play corner, but you, you're hearing all this stuff about this. What, what do you think about Bryson Washington?
1: Uh, well, it's, it's obviously going to be tough, but. I think, he's, I think he's got a chance at safety. I think that there may be a chance for him at nickel, possibly. Um, it's It's hard because you can't play everyone. But they're deep, they're talented, and, you know, it, it's going to be a really tough competition. I just – I think that he's going to be a guy that, unfortunately – may get passed up just because of athleticism and playmaking ability. That's just a hunch by me. Haven't been told that at all. Um, I, the, the really encouraging thing is you don't hear the coaches saying really anything negative about any of the guys at all. And at times, I'm not saying they say things negative, but you will get the the hint sometimes that it's just – it's probably not going to happen for a guy. You know, you you get a pretty good feeling of after a couple of years from someone, whether they're going to make it and have a chance to compete or be on the field, be trusted to be a rotational guy or not. Uh, And I don't get any indication that they don't feel like Bryson Washington is right there in the mix for competing for playing time.
0: Right. Okay. Let's move on to corner and let's start with your favorite, Justin Harrington, Listed 6'3, 217. My goodness. <laughs> I mean, what? But coaches are saying that he looks good, but may not quite be as comfortable as he needs to be still coming back from the ACL. And, and I know what that is like, right? i had an ACL reconstruction whole thing, and it takes time. It, it takes you a while to trust that leg again and you're you're a little ginger you're a little hesitant but the more he begins to trust that surgically repaired knee uh, I think this is a guy that he he looks the part and can absolutely play
1: freak um once he's totally back and ready to roll he's going to be one of the best athletes on the field and I mean we're talking about eight months right now from the ACL injury, uh, if it was last August. So that's incredibly quick. Um, it's kind of the new timeline is about eight months is, uh, a good quick recovery with no, no setbacks if everything went well. And so he's, he's on schedule or ahead. So I don't think there's any, any point in rushing him, um you know you just kind of take it as it goes if he's comfortable out there it's a good thing about spring balls it's not practices piled on top of one another uh, where you're just absolutely brutalizing the guys there's a the day between plenty of rest and recovery but man 63 215 plus pounds to go from small undersized corners to maybe the biggest corner in all of uh college football It's going to look totally different out there and he's got all the physical traits. It's going to be a bit of a work in progress, but the great thing is because of his size and athleticism corner is a, really a position that you can call defense to build on a guy's strengths and, and maybe cover him up a little bit on his weaknesses. I, I, he's going to be an, Unbelievable roll up corner in cover two where he can just reroute the hell out of a guy, uh, sync with him and release him to a safety and then play the flat. So I could see them playing him a lot to the roll side. You know, college, you get a lot of quarter quarter half stuff, uh, combination coverages. I could see them rolling coverage to him a lot where he's he's a, a flat player as a cover two corner and he just obliterates some of those good wide receivers that are out there on the outside. Um, You know, cover two – or excuse me, two-man where you've got a half field over the top. I mean, you can do some things to really play on someone that's going to have a a really good skill set, heavy hands like that, and maybe they do that with him quite a bit. But there's also a chance that by the time we're playing football in early September that he can check all the boxes and play all the uh, techniques they need him to.
0: Yeah. I think he's still got a little bit to go, but they are very excited about his future. Okay. Woody Washington uh, played a lot last season. Uh, started playing really well late in the year. Uh, got, uh, I think, you know, four starts at the end of the year. Did some good things. Now, not the biggest guy, right? But the thing that the staff loves about this kid is his intelligence. He's just a smart, reliable player that does everything correctly on the field. They really love where he's at when it comes to his understanding of the defense. Now he doesn't look as good as Harrington. He doesn't look as good as a guy like Joshua Eaton, but there's something to be said about a guy that just knows exactly where he's supposed to be, Ted.
1: That's right. You know, we talked about it with offensive line, talking about Ely and his performance in pro day. Do you block the guy or not? At corner, does your guy catch the ball or not? Are you making the tackle in space or not? And when you watch Woody Washington play, he's a productive player that is always around the football, always making plays, making the plays that he's supposed to. At the end of the day, secondary is more about trust than it is anything. You can have great athleticism, but if a coach can't trust you to be where you're supposed to be and make the play that you're supposed to make, well who cares? You know, you don't win because of your 40 time or your vertical, you win because the guy you're covering doesn't catch the football. And Woody Washington when he's on the field, the guy he's covering doesn't catch the football and he makes tackles and makes plays and is aggressive, runs to the football. So I like I like Woody Washington a lot. He's going to be a guy that plays quite a bit. I don't know who's going to start. I don't know who's going to get the, the most minutes. I don't know that the coaches know any of that right now. But there's going to be a big competition and there. I, in my opinion, there's going to be a pretty decent rotation of players playing corner.
0: Yeah, I think you you look at Joshua Eaton and DJ Graham. Both of those guys kind of fall into a similar category to me. They, they look the part. There, there's no doubt, but the staff expecting both of them to make a big jump this year, and they've they've got to compete, right? Uh, I know Eaton at 6'2 looks exactly how the staff wants him to look, but it, it comes down to guys like Eaton and DJ Graham having a full understanding of the system, right? And we, we saw DJ Graham out there in the Cotton Bowl, and he looked like he belonged, so – those are two guys for me Ted where I don't know if they're necessarily battling each other but they're they're battling to get on the field because they are in the mold of what this staff wants.
1: Yeah. Grinch has been saying it since he got here that they need more length out on the outside. They need bigger players, they want taller players, they want more athletic players. And they're here, man. There's they're they're starting to show up. The room looks a lot different and Again, I mean, you, whenever you, you can, like just like you said, you can package all those guys together: Eaton, Davis, Graham, and throw Woody Washington in there. Um, someone is going to have to elevate above the rest of the guys. Um, maybe it's going to be Josh Eaton. He seems to to have like that competitive nature. DJ Graham is another guy that is, and that I think that's one of the interesting things about this secondary it's, it's gone from years ago, a group that was a little bit passive and tentative and, you know, was worried about the deep ball and giving up plays. And when you're worried about it, that's what happens to a group that's hunting past breakups and hunting interceptions and plays with a tremendous amount of confidence. And I mean, I, I think you could say that about all of these guys, which is, it's just – it's it's amazing how far they've gone depth-wise at corner in just a short amount of time. I mean, because – is there anyone that we've listed that you would not feel comfortable with out there on the field?
0: No, I, I think Jaden Davis is a solid player, but he's a holdover, right? Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily the prototype of what they want back there when you look at it and now he played a lot last season, but he's one of those guys where you think about last season, you're like, okay, when did I say something about Jaden Davis? Right. And and that's
1: quite a bit early. And it seems like it faded as the season went on.
0: Yeah. And I, I think he's one of those guys that could be, you know, the odd man out, especially when you factor that Latrell McCutcheon is there early, right? Which it's great that he's there early, And from everything I've been told that kid wants to start now. Like he, that's the attitude he's got. So I I understand what you're saying. Like, but yeah, I I think they're comfortable with all these guys, but now you got to create that sense of competition because you need guys to separate from the pack. And I know it's, it's very early in spring ball. You still got training camp. Like it's a long way between now. And when you kick off the season, but yeah, these guys are going to have to compete and they got talent. So it's going to be interesting. Man, Latrell McCutcheon looks the part. My goodness.
1: Yeah, no, he does. And that's exactly what I've heard that he is going to be the real deal. And it's becoming apparent pretty quickly. Yeah, and Corner's one of the positions that I've always said that you can, you, right out of the gate, you can do it. There's not a whole lot of thinking that goes into playing corner. You've got about four or five possible responsibilities. You got a guy man-to-man with outside leverage, with inside leverage. You're a flat player. You're a third player. You're a quarter player. That's about it. Now, you have to play some route combinations and stuff differently, and every now and then, because of a formation fit into a run scheme, but it's as far as like on the back end, the, the back seven, it's mentally the easiest position to play. Now, physically, you know, you could argue it's one of the toughest to play, but mentally, if you, if you got the physical ability as a young player, you you have the capabilities to start. Yeah.
0: Okay. Let's move on to nickel. The last position we're going to look at for the defensive backs and, Alex Grinch is saying some awfully complimentary things about Jeremiah Cradell, right? Said that he may have never seen a player make a bigger jump from year one to year two. Now, uh, I've been told that he absolutely busted his ass in the offseason. It clearly cares a ton. The only concern that I have about Cordell, Ted, is that last year, to me, he looks a little stiff, I don't I don't think he's the most fluid guy, especially in his hips. So I'm not sure what his ceiling is. I'm not sure how good he can be. And maybe that's something he worked on a lot in the offseason and that that fluidity, that movement. But I think he's gonna be a really good player. Alex Grinch isn't saying those things for no reason. It's exciting to hear. I, I'm just not a not, sure that all of a sudden he's going to become some elite guy at the nickel position for them.
1: Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. Um, elite. I don't think so, but I will say this. I think we have a chance to have a pretty big upgrade at the position over a year ago. And that's not a, uh, uh, anything uh, like hateful about Buki and how he played. I thought aside from some of the other post play stuff, that some bonehead plays that he's a really dependable nickel. I think we have a chance to be, uh, be better there and have a pretty decent upgrade, which um, you'd love to all of a sudden snap your fingers and have an elite player game changing player at nickel. Don't know if Credell's going to be that at least early on. Sometimes, when all of a sudden a guy gets all the starter reps, things start to happen pretty quickly, and guys can really get comfortable in a role, and it's like, dang, this dude, he's, a, he's actually a really good player. Once they're comfortable and can let loose of some of that athleticism and uh, trust their instincts to and just go make some plays, so I think they're hoping that's what happens. But as of right now, just understanding of the position, a uh, uh, better athleticism and size that that he gives you over what you had a year ago, uh, probably a really good bet that that's going to be an upgraded position.
0: Yeah, and if you're looking for an elite athlete at the position, Billy Bowman, you it, it's where you predicted he'd be working, and, and he's working at nickel. And Grinch said it was about. Getting him on the field and getting him reps. But this kid looks now that he's apparently a defensive back, I still don't believe it fully. I, I still I still think he's gonna be a guy that plays both. But now that he's focusing on playing the nickel position, it's only a matter of time till he starts showing out in practice. I, I think that out of all the guys that are there early, he may be the one that has impressed the staff the most. Like he can absolutely go.
1: Yeah. Well, he's the guy, you know, he's got so much athletic ability, but he's the guy that's going to have to totally relearn absolutely everything. You know, you can, if you're playing corner in high school, like defensively coverages and stuff are going to be a little bit different and like the physical expectations of the position train change dramatically. But as far as like what you do, your responsibilities, you go back to the things I said earlier, it's the same. I mean, you don't create a new type of uh, technique in college, but nickel is going to be a world that he's not used to living in. With what you're asked to do in blitzes, with what you're asked to do in the running game, um, you know the coverage world of nickel is totally different than it is at corner. You can be man to man. You can uh, with different leverages. You can be a uh, a hook and through player where you have to carry verticals. You can be a buzz flat player where you have to um, reroute a guy and, and get out and play the flat. There's a, a ton of different techniques that you have to play. So there's going to be a really tough uh, mental barrier to break through at that position. But if he can do it and he can learn it, and here's another thing. We know this Grinch likes to play multiple guys. If there's a couple of things that he does really well, you can put him out there for, for some of those situations. If there's things that he doesn't do well, and maybe it's not a good matchup with a team. Maybe you roll back his, his snaps that week. So uh, I think he gives them a, a ton of options. And really, that's what this defense is missing. I think we've got good talent at pretty much every every position. And I'm not saying we don't have good talent at nickel, but we don't have a we're we've just been okay at that position. We haven't had a game changing talent at nickel in a long time. Quite frankly, not just with this regime. It's been a long time since we had a nickel. That is a dynamic playmaking difference maker.
0: We'll see if he ends up being that guy. Okay. Last chance. You sure you don't want to talk about yourself. You're sure.
1: I will hit it next week. Maybe
0: number 19 congratulations sir okay let's get to our interview with robbie hummel but first first fidelity bank is a full-service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs checking accounts saving accounts home loans and much more they do it all whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone everything is stress-free with ffb making mobile deposits paying bills online and moving money to different accounts could not be easier First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. First Fidelity Bank donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And make sure you connect with our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts. Combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Nice. All right, here's Robbie Hummel. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that is a Purdue Boilermaker legend. He's played in the NBA. He also played in Italy. He also kicked it with Putin over in Russia. The man has played (laughs) everywhere. He is now a college basketball analyst for ESPN, and he is the absolute man, Robbie Hummel. Oh, and uh, what did I forget? FIBA three-on-three World Cup champion. Is that that's Uh, right? Right?
2: Wow. That is correct.
0: So basically what I'm saying is you've played a shit ton of basketball and you know a lot about basketball. That's, that's what I'm trying to establish with that intro, Robbie.
2: It basically means that I've played everywhere from good places to maybe not so good places. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> what it really means. <laughs> yeah,
0: there, there's no doubt. Okay. Let, let's get right to it, man. And I, I want to talk to you about, you know, some of the big 12 teams, but also look forward to the sweet 16. I want to get it all in with you, but I, I do want to start with OU because Played decent against Gonzaga. I thought they played about as well as they could play without Davion Harmon. Uh, lose to a really, really good team, best team in the country. Arguably, uh, Gonzaga just had too much for yep. them. What did you think of Oklahoma this season, and what did you kind of think of that performance?
2: I thought they were really good this year. I mean, I, I had them – let's see, how many times did I have? I had them against Iowa State, which they didn't play great at home. I had them at Kansas State, obviously not good. I had them against Texas, end of the year, where Texas won that game. You know, they had a really good season. I, I think that Lon Kruger did a great job. Elijah Harkless was a really good story. Um, you know, Austin Reeves and Davion Harmon had great years. The, the only issue I would say that I had would be that, you know, they, they end up kind of falling apart end of the year, and you end up getting that 8-9 game. Because they're a, they're a good team, and you just have to avoid that game at all costs, right? Like you run into a Gonzaga or a Baylor, you're just and they couldn't have played Baylor because of the rules or whatever. But you just you got to avoid Gonzaga, you know. And when you don't, that's that's tough. So I I thought they had a good year, certainly, um, you know, not crazy expectations. And there was a time period where it was like, man, Oklahoma going to end up being like a they could be a two seed, and they. They lost a bunch of games end of the year, but I think it was a good year for the Oklahoma Sooners.
1: What do you think of Lon Kruger? You know, he, he's done some really good things at a bunch of different places, took Oklahoma to a Final Four. Yep. Um, Oklahoma's kind of in an interesting spot. You know, we, we made that Final Four, had a great team. Uh, Buddy Hill and that crew it was a lot of fun. We just we didn't really capitalize off that run to the Final Four. Uh, we did get Trey Young to come here, and, you know, he was a hometown product, so – uh, maybe we would have got him anyways but do you think long kruger still has it do you think that oklahoma with a couple of other pieces could make another run and be a, a player in the big 12 and uh, an elite Eight final four type of team in the future when, when was the final four 2016 16 yep five years ago
2: ask ask produce fans if they would take a final four five years ago yeah <laughs> i i think that you're you're and Oklahoma has a very good basketball tradition, much like Purdue does. Um, there's been some really good players that have come through there, and you you mentioned a couple. I, I think of Blake and you know some of the other guys that have played there. But, yeah, I, I think that Lon can do it again. I think that they – it's going to be interesting to see who's back next year. Reeves was a junior, correct? Reeves – no, he's a senior. But – I he think he's got an extra year. Yeah, everyone
0: gets that extra year, right? right? So I, I guess would assume
2: he... that if he'd a senior, he probably wouldn't come back. And I don't know that for Agreed. sure. I just think he can go make money. Um you know, that's a big loss. He made so many plays, but but Davion Harmon's really good. I, I like Harkless. I like Emoja Gibson a lot. Um, there's the, the cupboard is certainly not bare, but you know, I, I think when you say that th- there's a lot of really, really good programs that would be like final four or five years ago sounds pretty good. You know, like I, I think that, um, you know, Oklahoma is, is a place that can certainly get back and I don't know if this is the group to do it, but I think that Lon Kruger has been a really good coach for Oklahoma.
0: You mentioned Austin Reeves being able to go make money. And uh, I think this is a good question for you, Robbie, because you played in the NBA, you, you played overseas. You know I mean? You, you've seen the talent in different places
2: and at different levels do you think Austin Reeves can play in the NBA? He's probably going to have to make a lot of make shots from the perimeter, I think. And he's been able to do that at times. And you look at his numbers before he came to Oklahoma, he was like, what, 47 as a freshman and like 42 as a sophomore. And his role changed. Like he was a catch-and-shoot guy. And now all of a sudden you're asking him to, to make plays off of pick and roll and off the bounce. And he takes a lot of tough shots too. Um, so, so you can see why his percent, percentage would dip now what did, what did he shoot this year like 26 27 it, it wasn't great it was bad <laughs> it was not good um, but i think he is a, a capable shooter but to play at that level you know everybody's 65 everybody's that size everybody can can play and to separate yourself i think you got to be a shot maker now if he doesn't play in the nba he can make a substantial amount of money overseas there is no doubt about that and You know, the overseas deal is so interesting to me because like, much like the NBA, fit and situation is so important. You know, you you can get in a a city where you hate your coach or you don't like the place you're living or, you know, there's so many different factors about playing over in Europe where, you know, if you do like it and you play well, you can end up making a million dollars a year. And there's some Americans that make that or more. And there's a couple of Americans that are making over two a year. So there is money to be made overseas. It's just, and certainly coronavirus has knocked some of these budgets kind of down. I'm glad I'm not playing over there anymore because y- you'd have some really tough decisions to make. I, I had some teammates that I play with in college that were still playing, and they were talking about how, you know, some of these offers they're getting, they were getting paid more as rookies over there. So that- that's going to be interesting. The G League, I think, is kind of like on the rise. I, I think they're going to try to start paying those guys more, and-, and maybe that's where Austin Reeves ends up, but... You know, if he can make shots, he's got good size. He can play. He, he can end up in the NBA, but he's got to make them from three.
1: What about Brady Manick? You know, Brady Manick's got another year um, if he sticks around. I kind of I, – I've got the feeling – And I thought last year there was a chance that maybe he was going to transfer because kind of playing out of position, he has to – he – you know he's a he's a catch and shoot guy, right. and the last two years because of Oklahoma's lack of having a, a, a real capable big guy, Trying he's drawn that. that duty. You know, yeah. tough defense down in the paint, and sure. I just don't know how willing he is to do that again. And I, I wouldn't be shocked personally if if he maybe he transferred and sought somewhere else. What do you think about Brady?
2: I, I guess the only thing you would say is he grew up around the University of Oklahoma and like wanted to go there. Um, but you're totally right. Like, playing the five is has got to be a load for him every every game. You know, it's one thing if you're like, all right, we, we've got a mismatch. Um, we're playing – let's say you're playing Kansas last year. And you're like, we have no one who can guard Udoka as a bookie. But Udoka as a bookie can't guard Brady either. Let's put him in pick and pop and let Brady shoot a wide – you know, that's that's one thing if it's one game. But you're right. When when Kirk Quest wasn't playing well, he would pretty much play the five all the time. And and that that's – certainly not his best position and it's got to be taxing on, on those legs. It's a different kind of tired. I'm guessing that Gabe would know this from his offensive line days when you're like, you know, battling dudes that are so physically big and strong. It's a different kind of fatigue compared oh, to chasing I, guys.
0: I know exactly what it's like to be physically overmatched yeah. <laughs>
2: during a game guys. I'm very familiar. Right. So it's, it's a different kind of tired though, from like running around and chasing guys. Um, I think that's interesting, but it would be really hard. You know, I I grew up a diehard Valparaiso University basketball fan. I was a ball boy for Homer Drew back in in the day. And uh, if I went there, I just can't see how I would have, like, been able to leave because I would have cared so much, you know. But at the same time, Maybe it's different when you're there for four years and you're like, I'm sick of getting my brains beat in down in the post. I,
1: he catches a lot with... of heat too uh, from the fan base. He, o- over th- defensively or, or? No, just in general because he's, you know, whenever he was a freshman, he came he in a, great... got a lot of lot of playing time, was yeah. was really good from three, struggled shooting on the road, but he's, he's never really gotten much better. He's just yeah. kind of floated around right there and, you know, a lot of times you can kind of point to his performance to say that, you know, he's the X factor. It's going to hinge on does he hit or does he not? And they really struggle if he doesn't add much. But whenever he does add, they're, they're a different team.
2: Well, yeah, because you're, you're playing him with the, I guess, hope that he is going to make shots and punish the other team for not being able to guard it. But if he's not making threes, then you're playing small and you're getting crushed on the glass and you have no rim protection – that's a problem. But that, that's not really Brady's fault, you know. I, <laughs> like, you look at it, it's like. No, well, I
1: get it, and that's why I'm saying, like, yeah. it's not his fault, but I wonder if like, <laughs> he's tired of, of dealing with
2: just like this know, playing sucks. out of position
1: yeah. and taking the blame, you know. Yeah, and,
2: and Twitter makes that, like, you know, sure. absurd where people have access to. I don't know if he has Twitter. I'm guessing he does. But, um, yeah, that would get old. That would definitely get old. So, that, that will be interesting to see what Brady Mack does.
0: Yeah. Okay, looking at Oklahoma State, Robbie, uh, they lose to a very hot Oregon State team that has kept it rolling since winning the Pac-12 tournament. And and just like that, Cade Cunningham's college career is over. Uh, You and I have talked about how much we like Mike Boynton. think he is absolutely fantastic. But what did you make of Oklahoma State's season? It it seemed like it was going to be the Cade Cunningham show all year long, but it, it really wasn't that way.
2: No, I mean, he he passes. <laughs> There's not many like superstars that pass um, at, at the college level, I feel like. But he he had a, obviously a fantastic season and they did, too. You know, they got so hot the end of the year. I, I was disappointed with the way they played against Oregon State because they played like the basketball was on fire. I got, I got back to my hotel room. because I, I was doing um, I had games that night. I was doing West One Radio. So I I had three first round games and, and two second round games. So I didn't get to watch the whole game. But what I watched, look you know, the, the ball was just like flying all over the place. It was they kind of lost their minds into the game. You know, I, I felt like they they just thought they had to get that all back in one one shot. They're taking crazy threes. Cade Cunningham doesn't touch the ball down the stretch. Um, I think Avery they,
0: Anderson panicked just a little bit.
2: I think like just, yes. just a little bit. Panic mode set in for. <laughs> Avery Anderson um, they got in some foul trouble but there are some some pieces there for sure you know the the Caleb Boone has had a nice year um, Alexander Moncrief is a good player um, there's some explosive guards they have Mike my, my Boynton is awesome I wonder if they're going to go back if, if with Cade leaving do they go back and run run the spread I I don't know I mean, he loved it before they ran it to death. I, I actually talked to uh, Brad Underwood on a zoom call before an Illinois game because they ran the spread too. And you know, I asked him, do you miss running it? And he was like, it's funny you ask. I was talking to Mike and we were, we were talking about how if we get these guys to run it, they would just killing it. Cade in the spread and IO in the spread. And I'm guessing that those guys weren't interested in playing the spread, <laughs> but I wonder if they'll go back. I, I know he likes running that stuff. So, um, Again, like a, a year where you thought you were going to not be able to play in the postseason. Thank God the NCAA didn't like come out a week ago and be like, "Yeah, we're uh, we're going to ban these guys." I was so ready for it. Like I was so ready for them. <laughs> we to all were. The, to like the lay most the NCAA dumbest AAA hammer down. thing
1: of all time. I know.
2: I mean, between that and the women's weight room at the uh, at the NCAA tournament in San Antonio, there's nothing would surprise right. <laughs> nothing. But, uh, yeah, I, they had a good year. I I know that it's disappointing when it ends, and you've got a guy that's probably going to be the number one pick in the draft, but they were young, and there was a lot of inexperience there, and I think that they kind of set the table for the coming years for Mike.
1: What do we make of the Big 12? You know, we've got seven teams in, and really, aside from Oklahoma, a lot of pretty favorable draws. I mean – yeah no one was really just hammered by a draw other than Oklahoma. So we got seven opportunities and we end up getting one team into the sweet 16 is, is it just unlucky the way it played out? Or do we need to look back and be like, gosh, this is a, a overrated league. We, we thought it was really good all along, but my goodness, when they get to the tournament, just, didn't play well at all, and some embarrassing losses.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I've been talking about this so much with the Big Ten because I live in Chicago, and I, I do a lot of Big Ten games. So it's like you know, I watch the Big 12 and the Big Ten more than any leagues in, in all of college basketball, and I would have bet my house that this would not happen the way it did. You know, I, I just – I thought there were so many teams. I had Texas going to the Final
1: Four. Like, it might so be, did I, Robbie. World,
2: so did I.
1: I had Oklahoma State going to the Final Four.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know in the Final Four. <laughs> like, my, like dude, I, you watch a college game every night and you can't pick a bracket to save your soul. Um, but that's what makes the tournament awesome. I, I guess the leagues had to be overrated. And, and maybe it's a case where you know, we didn't have the non-conference the way we normally would, so you don't get to judge the Big 12 and the Big 10 against other leagues, but... I'm shocked. I really am. I really believe that Texas, this was the year for Shaka to to make a run and get everybody kind of off his back. And I we, I did the Abilene Christian game with Jason Benetti for for radio. And it was like, it's the worst I've ever seen a team play and pull an upset of that magnitude. Like, and yes, they were awesome defensively scrambling and turning Texas over, and they crushed them on the glass somehow, even though they were so undersized and and out- Athleted by the longhorns, but man you shoot twenty nine percent from the field and sixteen percent from three, and you beat a team like Texas? It's almost the
1: impossible
2: it really is usually you know you watch a game like that you're like well, Abilene Christian made 15 threes like it wasn't our night and that and that wasn't the case
1: that's what we
0: were talking about and normally, you know one of those mid majors beats a team like that they they've got a guy right they've got a guy that goes for. 28 or 35. They don't, they
2: don't have four guys that are averaging 10 points a game. And Reggie Miller, who's the defensive stopper and at the best of Abilene Christian, not the shooter <laughs> Pacers fans know, but
1: their guy yeah. was the 50% free throw shooter that drilled two at the end of the game. The second, oh, one,
2: the second one, he snuck in the side corner pocket so hard. I have no, it's like the, the Abilene Christian gods like blew a wind in Lucas Oil <laughs> and just like blew that thing in. I, I have no idea how that went in. But Teddy and I
0: talked about the Texas Abilene Christian game last episode and the the thing that really stood out to me about that game with Texas was Robbie they just got pushed around
2: yeah I mean they they
0: just they're got pumped. pushed around like it was it's it, sometimes basketball is like football where you look at a game and you go okay sometimes just the more physical team wins and I thought that was the biggest indictment for Shaka in Texas was they, they, didn't, they got pushed around and they didn't look like they wanted any part of it. They didn't like push back. It was just like, whoa, what the hell
2: is this? Yeah, I will say Abilene Christian was in like ro- defensive rotations the entire game and they were like good out of it. Normally you're scrambling around and you're trying to close out to people and it's just it's not good for your defense because you're playing behind. Those guys like thrived in it. I mean, the quick hands and you force 23 turnovers, you're, you're doing something that's, I guess, outstanding. Um, but but you're right in terms of they just physically didn't bring it. And I also thought, you know, Matt Coleman getting a second foul on a really dumb play. They're up like 10 to two. And, and he gets a second foul like four minutes into the game. That, that changed things. And he had a really weird demeanor. Um, like he, he hit a, a three with, seven or eight minutes to go. I don't know if it was shown on TV, but since we were there, I saw it. He's smiling and, like, I mean, again, basketball is fun. It's not like you're not allowed to smile, but, like, you're losing to Evelyn Christian. And then he he hits a three to tie the game with, like, three to play. He blows a kiss to the Texas fan section right down in front of us. And then, even worse, proceeds to play, like, so bad the rest of the game. And I really like Matt Coleman. I, I really think he's – a solid point guard. He's run the show there for four years, but like the demeanor of Texas was really bizarre. It's you're about to, you're about to get Teddy going. Oh, you've done
0: it.
1: Robbie. <laughs> no, Here no, we no. go. I've already, I've already, I've already gone down that road. In did you see this?
2: Episodes. Did you see that happening? Or, or No,
1: I did, but I, not to get into it. This is, that's not just Texas basketball, but it's, it's, all of their Texas football too. (laughs) It's football. It's everything. It's they have a massive problem with recruiting really well and underperforming year after year. I mean, they, they recruit better in football than anyone in the big 12, except for Oklahoma and like they are, I think sub 500 over the last 10 years in conference.
2: That's pretty amazing. It's, it's with, same with the same thing as they have and, and the players they get and the state being as loaded with talent as it is that that is that shock in Texas basketball. I mean, look at the big guys they've had. Jackson Which, Hayes, Mo Bamba to, and Jared oh,
1: Allen leads me to a perfect <laughs> question. Quick break. Do you
0: own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business best in class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place if your business partners with insurica you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk i'm an insurica client and you should be too if your business wants to be best in class connect with insurica at insurica.com that's i-n-s-u-r-i-c-a.com and tell them we sent you also make sure you stop by riverwind Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And for March's Kitchen, cash in. All wildcard members that earn 500 points on their wildcard playing AGS machines will win a Continental Stand Mixer. Let's go. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Okay, back to the interview.
1: So, Shaka, what what he did at VCU was amazing. And the Havoc teams and gritty, tough, effort-based, flying all over the floor, basically saying, we don't have the players everyone else does, so we got to beat them with effort and grit. Well, he goes to Texas and... His teams don't resemble that at all. How does the coach go from, I understand that you change your scheme to fit your players, but don't you keep some of that, that guttiness and grittiness?
2: I think he his thought is we can't win like that in this league. I think that's his thought process. And then also, if I recruit the guys I've gotten, I'm not sure they're built to do that. Because that takes a special kind of dude. I, I got a first-hand seat, a front-row seat, to uh, to VCU. We we played them in the second round. I was hurt, so I didn't play. And I'll never forget watching warm-ups, and these dudes are making everything. And I was like, I've never heard of these guys. They play in the playing game. We're a two-seed. Um, we're going to smoke these dudes. And they rolled us. <laughs> they literally rolled us. And it wasn't just the fact they were making shots. You're right, the havoc, like – We turned it over a ton. They were pressing us every possession. Um, They were getting easy looks. I mean, they literally physically destroyed us. I I just think that it takes a certain player to have that mindset. And I also think that, like, you really can't do that anymore. Look at Bob Huggins. Press Virginia is not alive. That's dead. And it's partly the rules. You you talk about the cylinder rule. How can you press somebody with the cylinder rule?
1: Well, you know, I I get that maybe – you don't press because I. What type of player thinks he's going to the NBA is going to go play at a school that's going to press up and down? Like right. I, I understand that, but there is like a toughness and grittiness element that, like we're talking right. about him getting pushed around by Abilene Christian. I mean, <gasps> how does how does a shock a smart team get pushed around by Abilene Christian?
2: If I had that answer for you, I'd be, <laughs> right, I'd be yeah. making a couple million dollars a year coaching That's somewhere. I, I don't know. I uh, it's, it's one of those things I, I would say, and Chaka Smart might not a- agree with this, I'm not sure Texas respected their opponent totally. You know, a- Abilene, I think they'd given – I want to say that they had played Texas Tech tough um, in the year, but I think that they were feeling themselves off the Big 12 tournament. And, you know – I just think that they kind of thought we'll show up and and we'll beat these guys. Cuz then you look at the next game, UCLA beats those dudes by 20. So, I wish I had the answer for you, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's definitely a question that needs to be asked down in Austin. Robbie, looking at that KU USC game. I called the game, so uh
0: Um, so you I looked was, at I'd all witnessed. of it. How how shocking was it to see And USC shot the ball incredibly well. They've got all that linked in athleticism. But I thought it was – I was watching. I almost turned it off in the second half because it was so weird to see a Kansas team that overmatched physically. I mean, it's Kansas. And they got – I mean, they got rolled by 34 points,
2: and it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have. I will say – USC played out of their minds, for one. And they are physically so gifted. I mean, they are enormous. Their point guard, Tajidi, is six two. Everybody else in that starting lineup is like six five and up. And you look at like Isaiah White shooting 27% from three on the year. <laughs> he is on fire in the second half of that game. He is torching Kansas. Um, Evan Mobley is a stud. And then his brother, who I, before this game, and, and this is on me for maybe not watching enough Pac-12, I didn't even know his brother was on the team. And uh, I know now. <laughs> he came out. I knew it was over for Kansas when he, he hit his third three. And he went, like, behind the back, behind the back, behind the back, step back right, fade away three, cash. And it's like, dude, if he's going to make that shot, Kansas has no chance. Because USC is – USC was actually favored. They were, they were a one-point favorite going into that game. Um, on the line, but they're just, they are so physically gifted. They went into that two, three zone. And with their length, I mean, Evan Mobley seven, six, 10, or no seven foot. His brother's six eleven. Um, they'd bring in Chavez Goodwin. Who's like six, nine and a total load. I mean, they just, they just have so much size. I hope, I hope they play Gonzaga. They've got Oregon, but if they play Gonzaga, I'd be fascinated to see how that goes because USC has got the athletes to hang with them. I'm not sure they'll make enough shots like they did against Kansas. Because they were making everything there, but they—they're they, really good.
1: So it's a weird year. Kansas getting getting pounded, obviously Duke, Kentucky, not even around. But we got like Gonzaga, who's a one, Baylor, who's a one, really good. But on a typical year, whenever we've got the blue bloods playing and and showing like they usually do, like how do these teams compare? Are we talking about? Like overall, a really down year of college basketball, or are these teams the Gonzagas, the Baylors, or these teams could they compete year in, year out with your typical best teams in college basketball?
2: I think Baylor and Gonzaga could. I love Baylor's team. And I, I'm super high in Gonzaga as well. They've been phenomenal. Um, you look at like Baylor, they're experienced, they've got great guard play, they have capable bigs. When Matthew Meyer is like your seventh man, <laughs> that means you're really good. He uh, – I'm not sure he's always, like, locked in intangible-wise, in but, like, you watch him in warm-ups and he's dunking where he's cocking it back to, like, his shoulder going off one foot and just hammering it. I, he, he is really gifted. To me, he might be the best pro prospect on the team. And he hardly – he doesn't play a ton, but he – I don't know if he'll figure it out. I don't know if he'll play in the NBA, but when you look at, like, natural ability – He's got a ton of it. And then you look at like Jared Butler and, and Davion Mitchell and, and Macy Oteague, like those dudes can go. Flagler coming off the bench, um, Chama Chachua coming off the bench. They, they've got so many pieces. They're deep at every position. They really guard you man to man. They can make shots from three. They've got guards that can get to the rim. Um, I, I think they would be good in, in any year of college basketball. Duke's there, they're not. Kentucky's there, they're not, whatever um same with gonzaga after that if i could like get in on a bet where it's like gonzaga and baylor the field i would take that in a heartbeat and i would have said that two weeks ago too i think they're so much better than everybody else oral
0: roberts university they beat ohio state yep then beat florida how robbie how and once again, they're the pride of Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're all about the Oklahoma schools doing well. That's we're all about that here. But how, man? I, I mean, it and it didn't look like an accident either. Yeah.
2: I mean, they made Ohio State look bad. They've got guards that can go. And in the tournament, that that can get it done if you can make shots. I the Ohio State thing is weird. They they had a very strange end of the year where they lost like four out of five and then figured it out in the big 10 tournament, made the final lost in overtime to Illinois. Um, but yeah, or Oral Roberts doing that. That's, that's what makes the tournament awesome though. You know, you have a team kind of come out of nowhere. I-, I remember, I don't know if you guys played the video game back in the day, like final four, like 2000 was the first game to have like the mid con teams. And I, oh, hell yeah. I, I was into this cause I was diehard Valpo. So like I would play as Valpo university and, I'd play like the mid slate and I was recruiting like I was Kentucky. So like, you know, I'm bringing in players to, to Valpo and we'd go to play at Oral Roberts, this video game and their floor literally said, expect a miracle on the baseline. And now you're like, they're, they're winning games in the NCAA tournament as a 15 seed, but that's what makes it awesome. Right? Like that's why this tournament is so well liked and, and so watched. It's because in a one game setting, like weird shit can happen in basketball where you're making threes and you've got guards that can make plays and, you know, Ohio State was at one time playing as well as just about anybody in college basketball. And uh, it's amazing how when, when that happens, I also, it was so fun for me to be in, in the arena at these places, and I'm sure this happened in the Earl Roberts games, but when, I don't know if you guys have been to NCAA tournament games, but when the higher seed starts to lose and like that 13 or that 14 is making plays, the stadium totally turns on these squads and you can just feel the crowd like, and usually more so because there's like, you know, eight fan bases in a, a place or there's four or whatever, like, and I think this year, it's more kind of just like general fans. So it may be even more so because you have just people that like seeing upsets and they root for the underdog and, and those fans, they, they turn on, on these teams and they, they start rooting and you can see a huge kind of momentum swing for these lower seated teams.
1: They got a chance to keep rolling. Who are uh, you?
2: Who do they got again? Arkansas. Got a, oh, yeah. I, Arkansas is pretty good. Moses Moody's a pro. That dude, yeah. he's nice. I, I would say the the steam runs out of the. Uh, Of the train here. You're not
1: expecting a miracle on this one, then? I'm not. I'm (laughs) not. I I think it's going to be uh,
2: Arkansas to the Elite Eight. However, my bracket is terrible, so maybe that means that I just gave the kiss of death to the Razorbacks, and Oral Roberts will be. uh, Who knows, man?
1: Who knows?
0: Looking at those, looking at the first two rounds before we look at some of the sweet sweet sixteen matchups, Robbie. We talked about the Abilene Christian upset over Texas. We talked about what else did we talk about? We talked about, um, so about Texas, Kansas yeah. just getting murdered, yeah.
2: but Oklahoma,
0: Oklahoma, but, Oklahoma. but you, you look at Loyola, Chicago dominating Illinois. You look at any of these other results that really stood out to you in those first two rounds.
2: Um, I mean, the Illinois one definitely was a head scratcher. We talked Ohio state, um, Purdue losing to North Texas was surprising and I, I had to call the game. Um, so that was, uh, that probably sucked. That was an experience in itself. Um, who else? I'm Syracuse.
1: To- I thought Syracuse looked great.
2: Syracuse has played well. Now I, I'm, I'm concerned for their zone from a rebounding standpoint against Houston. I don't know if you guys have seen Houston play, but they crushed the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. So they're not a great shooting team. But when shots go up, they they go and and they get them.
0: We so, know all about the
2: Kelvin Sampson
0: style around here. Oh,
2: of course, grind it out, baby. Yeah, grinders. They and they they crush on the glass. Um, Quentin
0: Grimes can play, man. I I liked him when he was at Kansas. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when he was gonna leave, I figured he landed Houston because that's where he's from. And right, he he's playing up to that talent level.
2: No, he is. I, I had him uh, late February against South Florida, and he was it was tw- Quentin Grimes twenty five, South Florida twenty two. They were up. they were up 30 points at halftime. I mean, he was killing. Um, the, the Iowa-Oregon game was probably a little bit of a surprise. Although, Iowa, if you watch, their defense has not been good all year. So, when you're on pace to give up, what, almost 120 points at halftime, Oregon at 56 points. That's uh, <laughs> it's not good. Um, the, the Pac-12 has been phenomenal. And I, I didn't see a ton of USC or Oregon or, or UCLA this year, but, man, we're going to see a lot of them now. They've uh, they've played great. I think it's just so surprising, though, that the Big Ten and the Big 12 had this kind of go down. You know, I, I'm not – going back to Kansas, with all the COVID stuff they've had, I, I'm not totally surprised. You know, like David McCormick had it. Jalen uh, Wilson, like, literally flew in the day before. They don't have Tristan and Aruna. And they're just not – your typical Kansas team, you know, that's not, I, I, my last college game was against Kansas and the team that I played against, I think would crush these guys. They're, they're better. You know, they're they're just a better team. And I think that you can say that about most of those self teams compared to this year.
1: How about Michigan? Um, Good one seed. Um, What did you think about the Juwan Howard hire whenever they made it? Did you think it was going to click the way it did? He put together good staff. Yeah, and it looks it. like they're, they're rolling pretty good, kind of one of the uh, the bright spot there in the Big Ten. Yeah, and Michigan he, has a chance to keep rolling?
2: You know, if Isaiah Livers was healthy, I would say absolutely. Yeah. But not having him certainly hurts. Um, they're going to be really tested against Florida State. Florida State's got the athletes they always have. Um, they're deep. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how Mike Smith handles, and he's their point guard, how, how he handles the size and length of Florida State. Um I, I thought the Juwan hire, hire was really good. I, I think you look at his staff, you hire a guy like Phil Martelli, who's been a head coach in college basketball for almost 30 years. You keep Saudi Washington, who's been one of the top – you know, John Beeline's top assistants for the last six or seven years. You bring in Howard Isley, who's got NBA experience, um, you know, good staff. He wants to be there. He trained – or I guess – trained under Pat Riley and Eric Spoolstra, which if you're going to learn, you're learning from the best down there. So, yeah, I, I do think it, it, was a good hire. Um, and certainly it's easier to say that now compared to uh, to then it, it'll be interesting to see if Indiana follows suit. You know, if they say, you know, it worked for them, let's hire um, a Mike Woodson from the NBA, or let's, let's bring back, you know, a Dane Fife from Michael Lewis who are in the college game, but former players. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's done a phenomenal job and he's put together a good staff and he's done a really good job of, of developing the guys that Beeline had on the team, bringing in some transfers and recruiting a high level big in Hunter Dickinson. You know, I think for that, you've got to give Juwan Howard a ton of credit.
0: So you look at that East region, right? And in my opinion, that's the most competitive one when, when you look at Florida State taking on Michigan and then UCLA, Bama, who do
2: you like? coming out of that East region to make the final four? I think Michigan, Florida state to toss up. I, I went Florida state in my bracket. That's in shambles. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to go Bama and I've got Bama going to the final four. They, they, they play fast. They shoot a ton of threes. They've got good guards. Um, they really guard you. Nate Oates is a terrific coach. Um, so I, I'm going to go with Alabama advancing, but you're right. It is very open. It's, I think that there there could be all four of those teams could come out, and I wouldn't be totally – maybe – well, no, UCLA would be a surprise. The other three, I would not be surprised if those three came out.
1: Yeah, the one basketball school would be the surprise. The three <laughs> yeah, football schools. That, right? uh, I you, know. you got a good shot. I know. So, I, what, what would you – if you predicted it right now, forget about the bracket, what you had before. I think everyone's forgotten about their bracket at this point. What, what's your final four at this point on? Who, who's hot? Who do who you think's going to end up there?
2: Yeah, so let's see. I, I'll say what I, I – had Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and who did I have in – I had Texas oh, was Texas. my fourth. Yeah, Texas, Texas. We had the exact
0: same final four. We're,
2: we're so smart, Robbie. Great minds, <laughs> great minds think alike. So that was my final four. Now I'll say Bama, Gonzaga, Baylor, and honestly the Midwest is a little bit of a crapshoot to
0: do it. Take Loyola's Chicago. The fighting Crutwigs. Come on, man.
2: I think Loyola beats Oregon State. I think Houston beats Syracuse. I'm going Houston. Do it. I'm I'm a hater of the mid-major, apparently. (laughs) I like it. It's because
0: Cameron Crutwig's too handsome, isn't it?
2: He is. He owns Chicago. That dude can play, man. Hey, he gave Coburn that work. Yeah, he's the mayor of this city, or soon to be. They love him here in Chicago. He'll never have to buy a drink ever again in this place. (laughs) He was like, he, he was just dominating Twitter during that game. It was great.
0: Okay, Rob, before we let you go, man, uh, you played in the NCAA tournament. Just what's it like playing in that tournament? And uh, I don't mean to bring you pain, but what's it like losing where it's just, I mean, it's just over, you know? Yeah. And you, you kind of thought you were going to have 40 more minutes, but then sure. it just ends abruptly.
2: Yeah, like. I mean, playing in it is, is every kid's, I think, dream come true. You know, I I was obsessed with the NCAA tournament as a kid. I'd fill out a million brackets. I remember egging on my teachers to put the game on at school, you know, like in third, fourth grade. And in, in Indiana, like, you can convince most of them because everybody likes basketball there. Um, but, yeah, like, growing up in Valpo, you have the Bryce Drew thing. Um, it's just, like, there's nothing better. And the cool thing about the tournament is that every game you win, the, like, hype builds. You know, you win your first-round game, and there's more media at the second game. You make it to the Sweet 16, and all of a sudden, there's a ton of people there, and you're playing in a football stadium, and um, it just builds and builds and builds onto the Final Four. Um, it, it was awesome. Playing in the tournament was was awesome. Um, losing in it, not so much, you know, because you're right. You're always thinking – You know, we've got another 40 minutes to to play, and that's just not the case. And I look at, like, my last college game. We lose to Kansas. We led for, like, 39 minutes and 30 seconds. And you lose in the last 30 seconds of the game. And literally, like, that game ends, and we would have been better off. And that was the year they had, like, um, Elijah Johnson, Tyshawn Taylor, um, my man uh, Jeff Withy. What's the big dude's name? Thomas Robinson. Um, they were really good. They, they, they went to the national championship. And, you know, we all those teams that make the final four usually have one game where they like find a way to win, they steal one. And this was definitely the game that Kansas stole. Um, but it's like the last three possessions for us were like turnover for dunk, turnover for alley oop, like missed shot for run out. And you go from up four with like a minute 15 to go to you're in the locker room, and you're like, what the hell just happened? Like, it's like the last minute 15 is just a total blur. And and then, you know, that's your last college game. And and it hits you that you're never going to play with those guys again or for your coach, assuming you like him, you know, which in my case I did. Um, I guess if you don't, you're like, good, get me out of here from this dude. But um, it, it's, a, it's a hard realization that, like, you know, you're, you're never going to play with these dudes again. And it's kind of on to the next chapter of, of your career. For some people, that's, you know – you're playing in beer leagues for some it's you're playing overseas for some it's you're going to the NBA. Um, but it is a, uh, it's tough. You know, you see the emotion on both sides, you know, you see the pure joy that teams have when they win. And I've felt that. Um, and you see the kids crying their eyes out. I felt that too. It's, but that's what makes it awesome. You know, if it, if it didn't hurt, it wouldn't feel that good. You know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, you just hope that the guys that have gone through the hurt get to feel some of the, <laughs> the the joy as well. That's not how it works in this tournament.
1: The thing I love about it is, you know, coming from the football world in college, you lose one game, you know, now you got a four-team playoff, but yeah. for the longest time you lose a game, you're not winning a national championship.
2: Season's over, right.
1: Right, so the rest of the year, it's just kind of like, well, well, maybe we'll get a nice bowl game or whatever. Right. But in basketball, do you just got to get in totally. and is it like when you go to the tournament and you you made the tournament, regardless of what your season was like, does everyone, do you go in with a feeling like we're going to get hot? We're going to make a run. Like, do you forget everything? And and feel like you've got an honest chance to make a run and, and go yeah, try and win a title.
2: You do. I, I'd, I'd love to ask like guys that have played on 16 seeds prior to the Virginia um, UMBC, like mm-hmm. they might not. Um, but I think for the most part, like my my last year, we, we were usually pretty highly seeded. I think my freshman year, we were a six seed. My sophomore year, we were a five. My junior, we would have been a one, but then I blew my knee out and they dropped us to a four late in the year. Um, even though we only had like three or four losses, you were
0: just um, that important. I, apparently you, apparently, you were kind
2: of awesome that year. I remember that year. The committee felt that, but uh, Wrongly, we still got to the Sweet 16. We still had a good team. Um, the year I sat out, we were two. And then my last year, we lost some of those guys um, to the NBA. And we were at 10. And even when we were a 10 and we get Kansas as a two seed in that second round, I, I really believe that we thought we could win. And we come out of the Big Ten we're like, you know, Ohio State's got Jared Sullinger and, and all those dudes and William Buford and Aaron Kraft, and they make the Final Four. We'd seen them. Michigan State was a Final Four contender with like Draymond um, and some of those guys that they had up up there in East Lansing. So, like, we've been, we were like, we came out of a league where we've seen teams that are just as good as Kansas. And we, we beat Michigan twice or no, once that year. They won the Big Ten or they tied for the, the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan State. So it was like, wh- why can't we beat these dudes? We've beaten some of the better teams in this league this year. Um, and I think that's what's scary sometimes when you see like, you know, like a Syracuse and Syracuse is a little different because of their zone. But if you see a power five opponent as like a 10 and the league was good, I would hate that. Cause it's like, dude, they're not going to be intimidated of, of anybody. And that's kind of how we felt too. But I, I do think that for the most part, um, everybody thinks that they're, they're going to, they're going to keep winning. It's the best. You going to be calling games for Westwood one? Yeah, I've, I've got the uh, I've got the D two national championship on Saturday, and then I'm doing an Elite Eight game on Monday and an Elite Eight game on Tuesday. So busy man. Awesome. Well,
0: I I don't know that. Find Robbie's call of the game on Westwood One. People do it. <laughs> do it, Robbie. Streaming on the app. There you go. There you go. St- stream it on the Westwood One app. There we go. There, there's the plug. There you You're go. the best man. Uh, appreciate your time. Always love talking college basketball with you. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me on, guys. Man, that was some deep stuff about the NCAA tournament. I didn't I didn't realize I was going to get that good of an answer out of him. That was fantastic.
1: <laughs> he, dude, I mean, he, to hit all the different things that he hit, the tournament this year, kind of the mentality, college basketball players playing in the tournament, it's fantastic stuff from him, man.
0: Yeah, Robbie's a good dude. I've worked with him on Sirius a little bit. He's... He's a great dude. Okay, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. But first, March is here and the madness has officially begun. It's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. Select the winners from 63 tournament games in the my bookie bracket contest for a chance at ten thousand dollars in cash prizes, and it's only a dollar. To enter. It doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player in game props. My Bookie has you covered. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use promo code Oklahoma to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's promo code Oklahoma to claim your first deposit bonus. College ball, NBA, and NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, from tip off to buzzer, My Bookie puts the action in your hands with in game live betting. Bet anything anytime, anywhere with my bookie and Teddy, don't forget to send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic high school. (laughs) Bishop McGinnis Catholic high school has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020 with a 12 to one student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week?
1: I got to go with JC Horn. You know who that is? The corner? The corner. Did you yeah, a freak. His, did you see his pro day numbers? He's a freak, freak nature. I mean, unbelievable. Listen to these numbers, folks. Six foot, 205 pounds, uh, or actually 6'1", 205 pounds.
0: Check, check.
1: Ran a 4.3940. Check. Vertical 41. Hold on, check.
0: Check and uh, cast register sound.
1: checking ching uh, <laughs> Vertical jump, 41.5 inches. What? Broad jump, 133 inches. For those doing the math quickly in their head, that is over an 11-foot broad jump. Bench press at corner, 19 reps. Whoa. Yeah. And have long arms, too, right? Yeah. So you're talking about a guy that it's not like he was um, he wasn't like off the board or way down the list. But that's a pro day that takes you from, you know, a first round pick, maybe a late first round pick to a top 10 pick. That is incredible. His numbers, you know, Patrick Sertan, uh, we all know how good he was at Alabama. He's the number one overall corner. His numbers are better than him in every category. Faster, uh, better broad jump, better vertical, more reps on the bench press. Now, it's not by much. That's how good Patrick Sertan is. But when I saw those numbers, I'm like, wow, that dude made some cash.
0: I, uh, I saw the numbers. I saw some of the video. And uh, I saw the comparison between him and Patrick Sertan. And it made me sad that the combine wasn't happening. Right. Because Uh we would have gotten the thing where they put them up in the virtual thing and they're like running against each other. Like side by side. I don't know how the technology works, but it's awesome. They would have been able to, you know, maybe they would have been going head to head with each other. I I don't know. Horn and Sertan, not close. They, they probably wouldn't have been in the same group when it comes to the alphabet, but It made me sad that the combine wasn't happening. I was like, dude, it would have been awesome to hear all of the NFL network guys just lose their minds over Horns performance. But, you know, the year is what it is, Ted. It is what it is.
1: When's the last time Oklahoma had a a freak? Do we really need to talk
0: about it? I mean, I knew this is where this was headed. Do we really need to talk about it? Okay. I'll I will but seriously I I has has though you ever had a defensive back? I mean that those are incredible numbers.
1: Uh, a defensive back. Uh, I have to go see. Well, we've had, Antonio Perkins' numbers will look like that, right? He was an eleven foot broad jump, forty plus vertical, four three guy. But you know he wasn't. You know he wasn't that highly graded as as a corner, but. Um, They'd be few and far between Brody Pools were probably like that too, but it's been a while for sure.
0: Yeah. Horn is going to be a very rich man. Congratulations to him. Okay, who do you is your loser of the
1: week? It's gotta be Tim Peel, the NHL referee. Have you seen this story? So I read it.
0: I read about it this morning, and it made me sad because i thought hockey i thought hockey was supposed to be the pure sport right and to hear a ref well, say
1: something like that ooh uh, it's it's a it's a it's a pure sport in a sense that uh, they usually kind of protect their own a makeup call is nothing new everyone knows that there's makeup calls all the time in every sport Referees foul something up on one end, and the next thing you go down to the other end, boom, they hit you with something real quick, and everyone's like, "Okay, well, we had that one coming." Uh, he just happened to say it on a hot mic, and he's got it, it's a it's a really polarizing topic because a lot of people are saying, "Well, how can you fire a guy for doing what everyone already knows that they do?" He just happened to be caught on a hot mic. The other people are like. Well, number one, don't say it on a hot mic. And number two, officiate what you see. So I guess I get it on both sides. Uh, Problem is, uh, Tim Peel's looking for a new job.
0: Yeah, I believe that they said that he will never referee again in the NHL. And if anyone's confused, uh, he was caught on a hot mic on Nashville's broadcast, by the way, saying the Nashville Predators broadcast. By the way, if you ever get a chance to go to a Nashville Preds game, definitely do it. It's really fun. But he said, quote, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get an effing penalty against Nashville early. So, oops. You're right, though. They they responded to it swiftly and intensely. The NHL was like, all right, see you, man.
1: Yeah, I. There's not a whole lot you can do as the NHL. Um, whenever you, it, you, officiating cannot, at all, look like it's compromised in any way, shape, or form, or look like referees are, giving preferential treatment or not calling it how they see it. Um, it just so happens, like everyone knows that makeup calls happen but this happened on a hot mic. And I mean, that's the difference between that's difference between no big deal or come on and your job and being done. And what are you going to do now? So loser of the week.
0: Yeah. He was, uh, he was due to retire after this season, by the way. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what that means. He'll
1: get his pension or whatever. Uh, I uh, I don't,
0: I, I don't know. I don't know where, uh, I I'm not going to pretend I know enough about the law. You don't to, want to go
1: in depth on NHL referees' pension fund and what you have we to can do, do to some
0: eligible. digging. You know, I like going down a <laughs> rabbit hole every once in a while. Don't make me do it though. Okay. My winner of the week, I've got some honorable mentions. Najee Harris, that was a great story. Wasn't even participating in Bama's Pro Day. Flight got canceled due to weather makes the nine-hour drive from Dallas to Tuscaloosa to support his boys, love that football guy move. I think I kind of love Najee Harris. Now, after some of his quotes at the college football playoff and then this story, big Najee Harris guy.
1: Yeah, he grew on me throughout the season too. I I agree 100%. And he is a hell of
0: a player. But also thought about going with Big Ten football fans because Big Ten announced that they'll stay out of the way and they're going to let their schools determine attendance for spring games. So remember that the Big 10 didn't have any fans this season. So it'll be the first football these Big 12 football fan, or Big 10 football fans have seen since what the end of the 2019 season. I mean it's been a while. Ted, so I bet those people were pretty excited. If they would
1: have just been a little more patient in the fall, they they could be playing a football season right now, Gabe. Come on. I
0: know. I know. Whatever <laughs> happened to the spring season.
1: Well, on, it Kevin still Warren. happened. I watched uh, I watched Jackson State game over the weekend.
0: Nice. But my winner of the weekend goes to CBS and Turner because I read a great article uh, from Pete Thamel there at Yahoo, and it was talking about the NCAA tournament TV deal. And the reason that CBS and Turner are my winner of the week is because Mark Emmert is an idiot. <laughs> I mean, he's just – I don't know how else to say it because – so basically, you go back and look at 2016, right? The NCAA still had eight years, Teddy, eight years left on its TV contract with CBS and Turner for the NCAA tournament. And remember, the NCAA tournament is where the NCA makes all of its money. Now, Mark Emmert cited uncertainties at what the future of TV would look like so NCA president Mark Emmert decided to extend the deal until 2032 with an increase of less than 3% annually. Keep that number in mind, Ted, less than 3% annually. There's still over a decade left on this deal now. And well, it turns out the, the TV landscape has changed some, but people still love live sports love it. So some of these TV specialists, people that understand these things, they think that if the NCAA tournament, if the NCAA was coming to the end of that original deal, that they would have been able to get something similar from a percentage standpoint as what we've seen, the NFL, uh, the NBA, those types of new TV deals, which, were around a hundred percent increase, not less than three, Ted, a hundred percent annually, annually. So from some of the math of these smart people that know the TV, uh, uh the TV business, it's estimated that Mark Emmert's decision will cost the NCA more than $3.5 billion dollars Over the life of this contract, a source in the article, Teddy said it. It was, quote, is one of the biggest mistakes in sports media in recent history.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I'd say so.
0: Three and a half
1: billion dollars. I guess Mark Emmert was thinking a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Okay. Uh, he was but,
0: bragging about it too. I mean, he even got, uh, this was all in the article that, you know, he was, you know, really flaunting the billion word and like, he was really puffing his chest out. He even got a raise for the deal he struck. And now you look at that's it and really you're that like, you know, yeah, good for him. That's
1: really all that matters. As long as your employer is happy and you got a raise out of the deal. Yeah, the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush um, may be true, but he really is a bird in the hand worth more than three and a half billion birds in the bush. Because, dang, that's a lot of money. That's a fireable offense. You think? I mean, I. When is let's the just, last time? Let's just said think
0: that- of the shit this guy has messed up in the last couple weeks. That's the NCAA women's like- tournament, right? the disparities between the setups there, they're still trying to, like, I thought name, image, and likeness was supposed to be di- done in January, right? That's when that whole thing was supposed to happen. The transfer rule, like that, these kids have all transferred to different schools across the country thinking they are going to be immediately eligible. Man, they just, they, they really haven't said anything about it. That all pales in comparison to a 35 billion dollar screw up.
1: It's amazing. I I cannot remember the last time anyone said that Mark Emmert has done anything good at all for the NCAA. I, can you?
0: No. I think he's meeting he's meeting with the kids that are protesting the tournament after the oh tournament. well so let he's, me
1: just tell you how what we're gonna hear about that coming out of it. It's gonna be like he said what he did what? Exactly. You know, he exactly. offended everyone. Right. He offended everyone or forgot to show up. I mean, it's going to be something bad. I,
0: I'm i going to pull it up because Pete Thamel had one of the best descriptive things I've ever read. Where it, it made me laugh out loud when I read it about Mark Emmert. I was like, there's no way he just said that. But I believe he said something to the effect of, like, out of all, uh, he's, he called it the Cheesecake Factory menu of mistakes that Mark <laughs> Emmert has made.
1: And I about
0: died laughing. <laughs> I was like, that is, that's so good. That's hey, so I, damn I mean, good.
1: I'll, I'll say this. Mark Emmert has a difficult, maybe impossible job. Thankless job thankless job you're in charge of something that quite frankly doesn't even really need to exist and a lot of people would love to see disappear so it's one of those things where I don't know that anyone can do that job well because they're fighting losing battles on about 50 different fronts right now
0: Pete Thamel when choosing from the Cheesecake Factory menu of NCAA President Mark Emmert's biggest failures over his <laughs> decade-long tenure, there appears to be a clear low point. I mean, that is so beautifully written. Pete Thamel, you're a genius. I mean, that is he's so... He's been saving that one for the right article. He's had, and He's had just... that one Dude, loaded, man. and he's like, who's it going to be? It's like that scene, the Water Boy. Who's it gonna be? And he was like, "It's gonna be Mark Emmert." There's my wow. bitch. Oh, that's great. That's, All right, I love it. Loser of the week. Uh, thought about going with Bigfoot because Oklahomans are coming for him, right? What was it? Two point one million dollar bounty if yeah. found alive and unharmed. I, I think say, that's what I
1: read. Let's schedule a Bigfoot hunt. What do you say? Oh, man. I can. I mean. Who couldn't use two point one million dollars? Sounds great. I've uh, basically already already allocated the two point one million, so we better go get it.
0: <laughs> just don't let just don't let Mark Emmert handle it.
1: That's all right. I know. But well I, I got news. If anyone happens to see Bigfoot in southeastern Oklahoma, I've been to southeastern Oklahoma. I know the people down there, they are definitely going to shoot it. Okay. <laughs> that is definitely going to happen. I don't he, care if He will not the-
0: be alive and unharmed.
1: The the being able to have it stuffed and mounted on their wall is worth more to them than the two point one million dollars.
0: that's a good point. I also thought about making John Rom, or not John Rom, but people that were going to bet on John Rom for the Masters. Thought about making those people my loser of the week because turns out, him and his wife are going to have a baby. It sounds like during the middle of master's week. And he basically came out and said, I mean, he came out and said, Hey, if you're thinking about betting on me, maybe don't because I may have to leave, but there's also cinnamon toast crunch. I mean, that whole thing, what you're looking at me like, you don't know what I'm talking
1: about. No, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: No way. Okay. This has been like the most popular story the last two days. You're telling me you have no idea what I'm talking about.
1: That's exactly what I'm telling you. Okay.
0: Okay. So there's a guy named Jensen Cart that, it fun fact, in real life, is married to the girl that played Topanga on Boy Meets World. So that's a fun fact. I don't know why Topanga. I need to tell you that. Yeah. But you know who Topanga is, right? No. Jesus help you. <laughs> but basically, he tweets out a picture of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and his Cinnamon Toast Crunch has shrimp tails in it shrimp tails what do you mean shrimp like you know when you eat like, like shrimp a, cocktail tails tails yes in cinnamon toast crunch yes yes i cannot believe you have not seen this and there's like this back and forth i mean it's here's the picture right here i'm showing it to you there it is shrimp tails
1: oh man Those blend in pretty good. He's lucky he picked those out. I would have scooped them right into my mouth.
0: And initially (laughs) and initially Cinnamon Toast Crunch responded was like, no, those are that's that's common. That's just uh you know, cinnamon balled together and he was like, What? They're obviously shrift tales. And then cinnamon balled together. He felt and it's completely escalated since then. Like I think now they asked him to go to a police station. Dude, you gotta read about this. It I cannot, I am stunned you haven't heard about this. But
1: wow.
0: But they're not even my loser of the week. Because my loser of the week fans of the Washington football team. Because now, they're excited about that defensive line, right? Chase Young. That I think they've got a solid coach. And Ron Rivera, I think he's doing things right there. Those fans have a lot to be excited about. But if there's one thing that those fans have been asking about for years, it is that they want Dan Snyder to sell the team. They've been saying that for forever, right? Horrible owner. One of the worst owner in sports from all indications. Now, there's been some weird stuff going on with the minority ownership group. I still can't get over that you hadn't seen the shrimp picture. Oh, my gosh.
1: But It's crazy.
0: Back to the Snyder thing. So, there was weird things going on with minority ownership in the offseason. There were the rumors about Jeff Bezos, right? Maybe that he was coming to buy the team. Well, a report from golongtd.com. Everyone knows golongtd.com comes out. And it has been confirmed that the NFL has approved a $450 million debt waiver so that Dan Snyder can buy his minority investors out, which basically means now it has to get approved by 24, I believe 24 of the 32 owners from what I read, but it basically will make him the full and complete controller of the organization, which he he already was making the decisions, but the Washington football team fans were hoping that this guy would sell the team. Maybe they were going to get Jeff Bezos instead. He's going to own the whole damn thing. Teddy, that's gotta be just a little depressing. Pretty bad
1: reversal in four. I've never seen a team. I mean, most people are indifferent. Some people like the owner. I've never seen Anyone hate the owner of their franchise as much as Washington hates their owner? It's weird. Yeah.
0: They still got that investigation going on too. Remember that whole like yeah. culture of yeah, that's so I can't imagine the Washington football team fans are happy. Now we're we're done here because you need to go you need to go read more about the Cinnamon toast just just Google Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I mean, have, have you, you ever- been living under a rock? the last Maybe. two days
1: have you ever seen strip tease with demi moore absolutely i oh i love demi moore. <laughs> Okay, love everyone loves that movie do you remember the bouncer putting the cockroaches into the yogurt
0: yes i the know tweezers? exactly i know exactly what you're talking about
1: his plan was to sue the yogurt company is that what Jensen Cart is doing? I don't believe so because here's all you got to do throw some shrimp tails from the cocktail party the night before and sprinkle some cinnamon on them and claim it was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. If you've got a big enough Twitter account, you get enough people to make it go viral. Come on, Gabe.
0: From what I've gathered, he's kind of a funny guy. He's kind of a prankster. But when he posted, like, he was like, this is not a bit. There was shrimp in my Cinnamon Toast crunch. So I don't, I don't know, man.
1: But I feel like this is the old strip tease move. I mean, he's married to Topango. I'm <laughs> Topango. sure Topango. The, the cash. <laughs> Topango.
0: <Topanga>. We're done. <laughs> episode 97 in the books go read about cinnamon toast crunch they've had a rough couple days okay we have a new podcast that'll drop monday morning just a reminder you can hear teddy from two to six on sports talk 1400 you can hear me from three to five on sirius xm big 12 radio channel 375 hope you all have a great weekend until next time we appreciate y'all for listening do what you always do Oklahoma. take care of each
1: other